everybody. Uh, I am Jason Tondo, uh, a developer for Starfinder, and I am here with my distinguished colleagues for the Starfinder Q&A panel. We had a lot of questions yesterday about sort of lore-related issues. This might be kind of similar in structure. We're just here to take whatever questions you folks have about Starfinder at all, whether it's mechanics or lore or whatever, any, anything uh, Starfinder-related. And uh, before we get right into it, I'm going to let my friends and colleagues introduce themselves. Joe? Hey, yeah, I'm Joe Pacini. I'm Starfinder's lead designer, and I work primarily on the hardcovers for Starfinder, so your Galaxy's Exploration Manual, your Aliens Archive volumes and such. And I'm John Compton. I'm Starfinder senior developer. Like Joe, I work primarily on the Starfinder hardcover books, in my case, uh, focusing primarily on the upcoming tech revolution and uh, galactic magic, as well as the Starfinder or Starship Operations Manual. Yeah, and I do like adventures primarily. I, I, I've Fly for Your Die has been coming out. I think the last volume came out last month. We're on Horizon of the Vast now. That's Jason Keeley was the lead developer on that, and I assisted him with uh, you know developing all the back matter material. We're still working on that, still putting that stuff out. Uh, I also developed the two modules that we have out or coming out, Junker's Delight and Liberation of Locust One. Uh, Joe, is that the deck of many worlds on a, in a frame behind you? <laughs> Not quite framed. It might be duct taped. Uh, the rumors aren't uh, to be confirmed or denied here, but yeah, that is that is an uncut sheet of the deck of many worlds sitting on my wall, oh, including the instruction God. cards. You can see those weird gaps are are the instruction cards there too. But yeah, it's uh, okay. double sided too. So that is super sweet. The uncut sheet that that's a fantastic yeah. memento. Of, uh, I know you worked really really mm -hmm. hard on that. It was a All right, so yeah, it was a project. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was a project. All right, John Godek, uh, whom we know. John, big fan of your work. Um, thanks for writing for us. Uh, will we be getting more high-level APs like Devastation Arc coming soon? And what about more stewards-related contact, contact, content, excuse me, like an AP? So anything high-level and anything stewards-related? I uh, love Jake, you'd be the one to speak to yeah. high level <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah. And steward, um, stewards related, I could say there is, uh, there will be something. <laughs> That's all I could say about <laughs> that. Uh, did the stewards mechs make it into the tech rev? They did, yes. Oh, fantastic. Uh, or at the very okay. least, I know some of the art did. Uh, so we, we have mm -hmm. some stuff about that. They're like big, yeah. giant, blue cop robots, basically. Like, at one point, they had like a little <laughs> thing like on their head. Or... <laughs> that, that, that was, was one of the our, concept I think that pieces was... that we did not go with. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the stewards do have... Every one of our mechs has a different uh, visual design. And the stewards' mechs uh, hit some classic mech notes, almost hitting some kind of Gundam-reminiscent ideas. Um, yeah. So... The stewards of all of our mechs are the ones that seem most likely to have weird extra projections or um, like rocket boosters on your shoulders or things like that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we have some cool art of those guys. Um, the one thing yeah. I can say on high-level adventures is that whenever we're planning adventures, there's always a little bit of push-pull. Um, sometimes from uh, very familiar members of our staff where I will be like, I would like more high-level content. and. Uh, some of the conventional wisdom in creating adventures is that 
like lower level stuff tends to sell better. Like it's it appeals to newer players a lot more readily uh, because lower levels have far fewer things to juggle. There's a sense of if I can jump in at first level, then that's a great place to start, right? Like it's it's one. Um, so oftentimes we are we're competing interests on like how much we're pushing toward these lower level adventures for for gateway products versus how much we're looking to things and saying, wow, we haven't done a lot of like level 17 stuff. What would a level 17 module look like? Uh, so a lot of, a lot of publication uh, factors. Yeah. Yeah. John's, John's absolutely right. Oh, no, go ahead. Please go ahead. No, please continue. Cause I was going to go back to mechs for a second. So after you're done. Yeah. We, uh, John's absolutely right. Like we 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 all want to do high level content. I think a lot of the adventure creators want to do that. We we had to wait a while just to get one three volume uh, high level AP in the mix. Um, we we want to do it, and and because we've got this we've got this whole game right that we've only kind of supported two thirds of, and we want to get the rest of that stuff out there. But there are some publication realities. Now the good news is is that the modules are slowly going up in level. Right, Junkers Delight starts at first. Locust One starts at fourth. We have a couple more coming out next year that we haven't announced yet, or that we're working on, I should say. Um, will that continue to go all the way up through like 13th level, 17th level? I, I don't know. We, we would like it to, but th there's publication realities that might not let that happen. Joe? Yeah, just really quickly about the mechs. Um, we do have a lot of cool sample mechs for different organizations that are in the packed worlds and beyond. Uh, including the stewards, I believe. And uh, of course, you still get to make your own mechs and have them look like whatever you want them to. But we were, we're still, I think, all abuzz. Like, I could still think back to our first meeting where we saw some of this mech sample art and we're just like, wow, <laughs> this is amazing. The art is coming from inside the house and it's uh, gorgeous. Um, so it was a lot of fun to, to see. Because it, it is, you know, there's a, there's a, there's like a collaborative leapfrogging process of, art comes up with something cool and then we come up with the words that justify that cool thing, right? Like John did a great job of doing all this text for these just full art spreads of mechs, um, pointing out little details and, and riffing on what the in-world explanation for those are. Like, it's really, it's great stuff when we can collaborate like that and Tech Revolution is full of that stuff. So it's exciting. So not really related to your question about stewards specifically, but <laughs> I wanted to see <laughs> that in there. But stuff, yeah. All right, let's see what, what we got next. Um, uh, jrock9430 asks i'd like to know if we'll see the skitter saga series continue for free rpg day and uh second question and if we'll see any mechs in that by chance well we can't tell you <laughs> <laughs> yeah we can't tell you but but stick with us and i i don't think you'll be disappointed um now, now mechs is a special challenge for things like a, a free rpg day or a one shot because they've kind of got some mechanics there's like this whole subsystem there that that if you're designing a product for walk-up play, where like just a random person in the game store just comes in and like throws throws down in a free RPG day, the whole mech subsystem might be a little bit intimidating to those new players. Doesn't mean that we can't do it in adventures, but maybe that's not the perfect product for it, right? Um, so so we'll we are talking about ways to get mechs into adventure content so that that subsystem gets used. But but maybe not in free RPG day. Yeah, that's a great uh, point. Okay. Uh, we we have to think about design goals for every every product. And we have so many different niches that we're filling with these different products. 
that like Jake says, uh, Free RPG Day is more about exposing people to sort of what Starfinder is. And Starfinder can be so many things that it is difficult to pick sometimes even. What are we <laughs> what are we showing you of the Starfinder universe to get you hooked? And mechs might be that for some people, but uh, if we were to do mechs in a free RPG day product, that would be kind of be communicating like Starfinder is all about mechs. And that's just a, a cool and yeah. new upcoming piece of it, but it's just a piece, so. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, well, you guys both worked on this, so let's see what you think. What changes, oh, this is from Zergatan. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Zerg Titan, to get my pronunciation right. Zerg Titan 99. What changes are you able to share right now about the nano site? Changes from the playtest. Who wants to go? I mean, I could talk about it, but John, uh, I think, might want to. <laughs> the, the biggest one that comes to mind for me is uh, changing up some of the nano site gear uh, array. Uh, there were there were a few concerns uh, that came up in the playtest about how you qualify for learning different gear types or what it costs to learn different gear types. Um, and those have been smoothed out a lot, especially when it comes to creating higher level nanosites so that you don't have to necessarily do a level by level uh, building process to to kind of reverse engineer your vocabulary. You can just say, I'm level nine or building level nine character. I get the following different major and minor forms. Let's go. Uh, so yeah. much more streamlined there. Joe? Yeah, that's that's definitely the biggest and most important change. I think uh, we did, we also addressed some stuff. You know, people noted some very key mistakes. That's what we do playtests for. You know, we have our great uh, writers and authors and developers and editors who all look at things and then we put them out in the public and then thousands more people look at it and go like, uh, <laughs> "Did you notice this?" I'm like, I guess we didn't. So we fixed. We have to fine tune all that. But what John's talking about, we definitely. So the nanosite for people who aren't familiar, maybe. Uh, is a, a class that has a swarm of nanites within them, and they can do multiple things with those, but one of those is manifest gear and weapons with it. And the system that we put out there in the playtest was a little bit a little bit fiddly, a little bit complex. Um, it required you to do kind of a lot of calculations, and uh, especially like John was saying, if you're doing a higher level, if you're starting at a higher level and needing to figure out what you did before. Um, so we we vastly simplified all that, and I think came up with something that will, that will be a, easier to pick up and just play with, which is always a consideration. <laughs> yeah, and the the the, icon, the iconic nanosite, I think we're still working on, right? We haven't been able to like show that guy yet. Good stuff. Okay. I mean, we, Eric, Eric Mona in his keynote address ended up sharing the final cover for the tech revolution. And um, anytime that we've introduced a new class, we sure have featured that character or those characters <laughs> on the cover. So I haven't seen anybody point out the new uh, nanosite iconic <laughs> yet. Uh, so <laughs> I guess there's still stuff that remains to be discovered. Well, it's like a puzzle. <laughs> we like puzzles in this group, so it's like a, you know you have to That's decide right. for yourself. All right, so uh, <laughs> Joe, for the puzzle reward, why didn't we have it be like the nanosite <laughs> reveal? <laughs> next time we'll reveal the nanosite next time. year's puzzle hunt <laughs> oh good well that'll be time a little late yeah yeah <laughs> let's talk about galactic magic a little bit uh one of our uh questions from john godick again is is about uh can you share us any details about galactic magic did did we unpack that book in a previous panel already so we've decided to uh, to look forward to Gen Con for our talk about Galactic Magic and focus kind of more on Tech Revolution and Galaxy Exploration Manual. And of course, yeah. Alien Archive 4, I'll just throw in there because that's pretty recent too. Um, but 
yeah, for Galactic Magic, definitely look forward for, for us to be talking about it. We want to talk about it. Um, there's a lot to talk about. And obviously, there's been some, you could piece together some things if you were following Paizo closely <laughs> about what might yeah. be in that book. But yeah, for now, I think we want to we want to focus on what's what's coming out next week, for instance. <laughs> so yeah. When, right. We, Paizo does a uh, Paizo Live uh, broadcast once a month. And so for Paizo Live 2, I was on it. And uh, my, my spoiler for that was that we were doing Galactic Magic in the first place. And I think I go on for roughly a minute about a few broad topics of what's coming in there, uh, in case you yeah. want a preliminary taste. I know yesterday we talked about how it's got some kind of slice of life sections on like how the average citizen of the pact rules interacts with magic on a daily basis and what normal people think about magic and stuff. But... Exactly. All right. So, um, so bronze dragon asks, will there be more hell knights in stuff or a doom like <laughs> I'm always uh, here John, for hell knights. Yeah. I was going to say like, whenever we get together <laughs> and uh, adventures, John's always got like, and, and there's a reason for that because Hell Knights are visually very distinctive. Like they're super cool and, uh, and, and they're popular and very recognizable and we want to put them into adventures. Um, uh, John, what, what, what do you want to do with Hell Knights? What would you like to see? I love seeing Hell Knights uh, occupy a slightly darker than morally gray sort of adventure um, where, because Hell Knights are... Yeah, they sure look lawful evil, but at their core, they are primarily lawful neutral. And that tends to be the sort of, are they enemies or allies this time sort of sequence. So I really love stories where you are facing off against some sort of group or person who is at first an antagonist, but later on is a true ally or sort of an ally of convenience where both of you are kind of growling at each other from across the table. And Hell Knights are beautiful at that sort of role. So I would love to have like an adventure where the first act is Hell Knights are being jerks and lawful, mer, but by the end, oh no, there's, you know, the swarm is showing up or or whatever stand in you want for bigger threat. And now we have to kind of uh do that that early uh predator muscle high five with each other as we get these two tough teams to team up against a bigger threat. To me that that's fun storytelling and a great use of Hell Knights. Yeah, the, uh, see, I always want to do the exact opposite. I want to start off with them being lawful neutral, but I always see them as more evil than neutral, right? So you start off working with them and then they 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 get, their, their, their methods get so extreme by the end of the adventure that you're like, okay, no, like somewhere we crossed the line. And, and I don't know where it was, but we're definitely on the other side of it now. Uh, little <laughs> trivia, for a long time in the first outline of Liberation of Locust One, the bad guys were going to be Hell Knights. But we uh, we ended up reworking it to be the Islandi Star Empire instead and some pirates. Yeah. Uh, so uh, and as for the Doom uh, style adventure, um, wait and see. I, I just <laughs> stick with us. Okay. All right. Um, you gotta love these Q and A's, right? Where uh, people ask us questions and go, and you just hold on. <laughs> ask us again. We'll ask again later. Nothing. Reply, Hazy. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Uh, Tuscan Raider fifty five. This is a. Okay, so I don't know what we can do with this question, but we'll try it. Why are grenades in Starfinder so weak? In real life, they are deadly, but they don't really do much in Starfinder. Well, Joe, you're the mechanics guy. Can you give us a straight answer? <laughs> a straight Jump answer. on this grenade, Joe. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's see. Of, yeah, 
Well, let's let's address the supposition, which is that they are weak. Uh, I think primarily it's because they can be cheap eventually. Um, we did, they used to be even stronger, but early on we made sure that you could not just grenade someone, like take a level one grenade and stop someone from casting a spell, for instance. Like our language is very clear such that you would have to like, yeah, it, you can't just, what I just said, you can't just toss a 50 credit grenade at someone and have them um, be uh, unable to cast their six level spell or something. Uh, but I, I would say, you know, why why does a laser pistol do 1d4 damage why why does getting shot by a laser pistol not murder you outright like especially if it's a critical right if it's hit a critical part of your body um it's just yeah. it, we we want combats to last longer than a round i guess is what i would say to that um also in case you haven't seen it a lot of a lot of our grenades just got cheaper which makes them i think more powerful by comparison because you can buy more of them um but yeah uh, i'd have to think about Think about that a little more and investigate the question a bit more. But I think they should be they should be balanced for a a reasonable play experience rather than full on, you know, hundred percent authenticity because that can get unfun pretty quickly, unfortunately. Yeah, that's right. It's important to remember that we're not making a realis realism simulator here, right? We're making a playable game. Uh, John, you wanted to chip in here. Grenades can solve one of usually solve one of two different categories of play. One of them is the pocket fireball, which is largely what Starfinder grenades do. It is point and click and it explodes. Um, but there's one capacity that grenades in Starfinder tend not to do, uh, which is the idea of flushing. Um, so like if grenades, like one other way that we could have looked at grenades would have been to say grenades do, let's say twice as much damage just for funsies, um, but that they have a short delay or that you can do you know, use your reaction to dive out of the area of effect or gain some bigger bonus to to not take damage. And so that way, when people are behind cover, you can be like, throwing a grenade and watches everybody scatters and goes, oh, no, ah, grenades. Um, yeah. and, and, and so that's something we don't currently do, but, you know, might be future design space or could be, you know, a way that if you want to homebrew a variation of grenades, uh, you could. Yeah, and I wanted to bring up this question because I wanted to make sure what, what Joe said got out there, which is we changed the prices on these to make grenades less expensive. For all, In the first printing of the core rulebook, they were they were really expensive. We have changed that. So so if you have avoided grenades because they seem like too much too much money for not enough bang, that, that equation has changed. Uh, okay. Uh, There's a lot of questions that we can't answer for reasons of <laughs> things that haven't been announced yet. Um, oh, uh, can I jump in real quick, yeah. Jake? For sure. Just wanted to say that, uh, yeah, in the Starfinder FAQ online, um, that we have just a full FAQ and errata published for the core rulebook and other books, um, that does have the new prices too for grenades in case you don't happen to have the second printing of the book. Just always right, like so to Kitsune, plug that, that that exists. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, so Kitsune Warlock writes, are there any plans on expanding the lore of the legacy races introduced in the alien character deck? Joe, start, or John? By the way, Joe? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> John, John maybe can be more, more eloquent about it. <laughs> about expanding on the legacy races? Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Basically, anytime that we are 
creating a new adventure or we're creating some sort of setting related book or something like that, we're taking a look at what what species are featuring in this storyline. Um, so a couple of APs ago, there were like a lot of brothus or there were a lot of um, bantrids or whatever. And those are opportunities to say, you know, this is probably a great idea or opportunity for us to explore, you know, let's say halflings in an upcoming AP. Like, yeah, we go to the planet of halflings. Let's do a halfling article. So it, it's partly yeah. opportunity based um, rather than us necessarily saying, by golly, it's been four months since we published the word half-orc. We need a whole half-orc article to make this right. Like, that's not usually how we do things. Yeah. And and we are aware uh, that we put five new species out there in a deck, in a product that's only that one product. So we're definitely aware of that and keeping keeping that at the top of our minds as we work on other projects. Yeah, because, like, you know, every other species has at least a one page in an alien archive somewhere, and that's not a lot, but it's something. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so we want to give, yesterday while we were doing the, the lore Q&A, John came up with this great idea of like putting the kobolds on triaxis, uh, so they can mm -hmm. relate to the dragon, dragon kin that are already there. And that just seems like a, like we, now I want to, I want to do that module now. That would be awesome. So <laughs> the, what John says is exactly right. Like when we get an opportunity to do like a Kitsune article in the back of some adventure path, because there's a perfect spot for the Kitsune, that, that's when we'll do that. And that is another balancing act, right? That uh, we have so many, we have an entire galaxy. And so it's like, we want to fill it with new, interesting, exciting stuff. We also want to carry forward a lot of traditions that we came into Starfinder with. And then of course we have like four alien archives now with a ton of playable races that we've, playable species that we've introduced that we want to expand on those too, you know? So it's it's always like, ooh, we have so many favorites competing for attention and only so much space to to expand on them, so. All right, so a couple of adventure-related questions, which I'm going to try and take uh, real quickly here. Uh, first is, will Band on the Run get a sequel? So first off, that was <laughs> awesome, uh, watching that, that live play. And I'm so it's so great that it's gotten such a great reception. It's a wonderful adventure. We're, we are doing more one-shots. We have not yet planned a Band on the Run sequel, but we take requests like any good band. So. <laughs> If you if you want to see those characters come back, then you know let us know. This is like like you are now, and maybe we can bring those characters back in in another one shot, or maybe a um, a module or some other kind of some other some other structure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one, one thing I'll chime in with there uh, is that there's also an element of lightning in a bottle for some adventure ideas. I, speaking from the experience of live exploration extreme, where like playing from the perspective of a live reality TV show for adventures is super cool for one session. And then whether or not it does translate with the same energy into the second, third, or fourth um, is, is something sure. that doesn't always work. So we'd have to be examining that to make sure that it's going to feel just as awesome the second time as it does the first. That, that's a very great, that's a great point because it's very tempting to do a sequel that is just like the first one but then it, it's like sad trombone noise, right? Like you have to find some way to make it interesting and different. You can't go, you, if you're gonna do a sequel to Alien, it's gotta be completely different and be aliens, but still somehow even still the same, right? Like better, but different. Yeah, you gotta find a way to make that work. So if we can come up with a, a, a way, for example, maybe we could find a way to bring the characters from Band on the Run into some other story where they're part of like Zoe's there or some kind of big entertainment thing, or maybe, you know, some, there's some other pop 
pop culture phenomenon that we can bring it those characters into. It all comes back into. to Zoe. Yeah. If anyone can do that, it's these these folks and uh, the other Starfinder team members. Uh, just watching them riff and and participating in my own small way sometimes <laughs> uh, is really great. Uh, so John's right that we have to look at that stuff, but these are the best people to find. What's that? Was Keely on the panel yesterday with you guys? Uh, not our Q&A yesterday. I think he was in an no, no. adventures panel. Yes. Yeah, but the adventures panel. Yeah, the adventures panel. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm going to self-indulgent question for a minute. Is there a good AP <laughs> or plans for one for doing a Cowboy Bebop Firefly Merck's just trying to make it kind of game. Yes. Hmm, let's see. <laughs> who, who asked that? Was that like, yeah. <laughs> did you ask that question? I, didn't, I did not ask that question. Uh, this is from <laughs> um, So yes, it's called Fly For Your Die, and it is out. Uh, the, the, the first, it's the sixth volume AP, starts at first level, goes all the way to 12th. Um, the first volume is called We Are No Heroes. And the player characters are uh, working for this dysfunctional, dystopian edge corp, um, and and they they all they want to do is, uh, you know, pay rent and and not get told what to do, right? So they end up uh, stealing a starship, and they get on the bad side of a organized crime boss and their old their old masters at edge corp. And pretty soon they're being pursued by bounty hunters and assassins. But all they want to do is just kind of do their own thing, right? And not and 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 be, live in peace. But um, but they can't because the universe is after them and keeps getting up in their grill. And there's like a rival team of of start of, of free traders that keeps stealing all their jobs or or outbidding them. Um, the the entire AP is done. I think the last volume came out this month, although. That shipping problem that we've had with uh, with that with COVID, kind of COVID related uh, that has made some of our products not ship on time. I don't know if the last volume has gone out to people yet. Has I physically shipped to to, to customers yet? But um, but yeah, fly for your die. Uh, and and if you really want to unpack every volume of that, um, uh, I'm doing a developer diary where I just go through every volume of the thing and talk about how it what its inspirations were and, and how it kind of took form, what worked, what I kind of wanted to change a little bit, things that I maybe I feel like they don't work so well, uh, lessons learned, that's more like that, but also a lot of great stuff and, and kind of walking get game masters through the whole adventure, kind of like watch out for this and here's this cool thing you could add in here and here's maybe some cut material that we had to leave off the, leave on the cutting room floor and here's where you can work it back in. So I do all that on the Banff channel, Banff Network on YouTube or on uh, your favorite podcast. Anyway, so yeah, and and we go watch the trailer for it because it's got like cowboy bebop Western music and everything. Like it, yeah, it's, it's right up your alley. So go go watch that one. Okay. Yeah, those developer uh, diaries are awesome. I want to second those. Uh, very oh. cool. I've watched a couple, and it, you also get insights into the development process too, and and how, what it's like to write one of these, and it's fascinating. All right, so um, uh, so this is um, a mechanical question, uh, but also touches on adventures as well. A question from our Discord chat uh, from GM Lava Bean. Does the panel have any tips on when a party might receive more than the standard 10% sale value for an item and when they might receive less? I've seen a few examples in APs and was curious if you could share some of those or other examples. So like 
If the standard is 10%, when, when should we give more? When should we give less? John? So one consideration uh, in, in providing different sale values is that providing a different sale value can be a reward in itself. We oftentimes explore ideas of non-monetary rewards in RPGs as, as a way of breaking the mold or providing a more personalized uh, sort of reward to your players, the ones that they talk about for, for years to come or, or that they always seek to protect. And one of them could be, hey, because you did X thing, you now have this contact who's willing to liquidate your stuff for 20% for the first X many credits per you know, session or play period or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that can be a really meaningful uh, reward, whether it's an individual provider or whether it's an organizational benefit uh, where it's like the stewards are willing to do this for you or the the um, Aspis Consortium is willing to do this for you. Um, so that's one of the big ways I would pr uh, promote. Yeah. And for me, it's like a verisimilitude. Yeah, like a realism thing to some extent if you are somewhere uh, just mopping up groups of enemies and they all have azimuth laser pistols. I'll always go back to our iconic laser <laughs> pistol for any example. And there's just, yeah. you know, you've got dozens of them and you're trying to sell them. It's like, no one wants these. Like, they're, they're, sorry, but <laughs> we have enough. Um, we'll give you 5%, I guess, for these, for the parts, which aren't even that good either. Um, so yeah. that can be a, that can almost be fun. It's not, it's a little punishing, you could say, but it's also, I don't know, anytime I can add that dash of like, that feels real. That feels like what it would be like if you came up with the, just like hauling a sack of, of a bunch of useless pistols with like two charges left. It's like, yeah, I don't want that. <laughs> I'll give you some credits. Um, I generally, I tend to trust what our AP and other adventure authors and developers put in for, um, you know, they take a look at how much stuff are they gonna get? What do we think people will keep and what do you think they will sell for 10%? And that usually is on the right track. If you're doing your own thing, obviously it's a little different you can, fudge. Um, but I'd say when you see it in adventures, it's it's almost always been very considered and it's part of the math and uh, making sure that the PCs are proper, are getting rewarded at, at not just at like regular intervals, but at important intervals, I guess. Like if we know there's a big fight coming up and we need to help you gear up for that, maybe we'll give you some, some extra windfall, even though it doesn't technically follow the rules. You know, we, we tweak the rules all the time to make adventures work. So you can feel free to do same. Yeah, many people don't realize that we actually give twice the standard amount of treasure and APs, like the amount of credits you're supposed to get for every level, we put twice that amount in the adventure on the assumption that players will miss some of it. Uh, and and all, we, when we figure out the treasure allotment for an adventure, we assume that 10% of most gear is sold, but not stuff that's like higher than the PC's level We'll often make exceptions for consumables like grenades or uh, healing serums or medicinals and stuff like that because those are going to get used rather than sold we assume uh, and so we, we treat it as full value but i would encourage you if you're look at what your players are doing and and the time that they're spending on treasure if they want to go out and try to find some, that perfect art dealer to buy this item so they can get more credits for it, um, or, or, or they, they know somebody, they know this mercenary that only uses plasma weapons, so they find a plasma rifle, and so they contact that guy on, on the holonet and say, hey, I found this new plasma rifle for you. Like, if your players spend time on that, then that's them asking for more reward for the, for the time. <laughs> So 
you know, give it to them. Yeah. And that, and that's an excellent point because when they when they on their own initiative are saying, remember that guy who deals in plasma weapons? Can we track yeah. him down and sell this? That that's something to reward as a gym because that is a sign that your players are actively engaging in the setting. And you want to reward that as much as possible. Uh, because it, once they're engaged in the setting, they're engaged in any of the storyline that you're going to do after that. Um, one closing point on this, and, uh, for me at least, is uh, Joe mentioned our azimuth laser pistols. This is just a quick little tidbit from Tech Revolution. <laughs> we have a whole bunch of techno babble in there, and one of the terms is flashlight, which is uh, an azimuth laser pistol or pulse caster pistol named for being easy to obtain, cheap, and about as effective as shining a light on something. So uh, <laughs> we, we know what we're about. Yeah. And I, I did want to throw in that uh, if you are, if you're talking about giving 25% for an item or two over 10%, you're not going to break your game. You can totally do that. And it'll still feel like, yeah, we got extra. We got something more out of that than we would have. And it'll be a few credits and it's fine. Okay. Uh, Waters Lathe asks, <clears throat> speaking of gear and equipment, some people are intimidated by the long equipment lists and complicated starship rules. Any chance of getting streamlined optional rules? That's kind of like two different questions, one about equipment and one about starships, <laughs> but tack, tack on whichever one you... Let, let's start with gear, maybe, and then we'll, we'll do starships or whatever. whatever. Joe? That's interesting. Like, I immediately think of the beginner box, right? Because that was all about streamlining rules, making an introductory, even more board gamey experience than while still being an RPG primarily. Um, and so for that, I know we did, you know, we simplified the equipment quite a bit. And we even gave equipment packages for each class. I believe it was for each class that we recommended equipment packages in the beginner box. So that would be, that would be my recommendation for folks who are intimidated by, because, you know, you have books like Armory that are just packed with all sorts of weapons with all sorts of special features and little extras that um, for a lot of people are goodies and for a lot of some people are definitely like, okay, that's too much. I just want to like shoot a laser or, or hit with a stick. Like, let me just give me those options. Um, yeah. Let other people speak while I think of that. Think of, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so something that kind of works off of what you're talking about, Joe, is uh, some versions of Pathfinder have had uh, class kits. And I think you're talking a little bit about like class kits. I think we could also look at something, the equivalent of role kits, where it's like, I want to play the hacker. What do I need? And this is like the, here's the hardware expert kit. Um, and it's not just a single tool set. It's a, here are eight different pieces of gear for 329 credits go. Um, that could be that could be valuable for some uh, starting players. And as somebody who tends to get overwhelmed by gear lists in the first place, or I buy my weapon, my armor, and then I'm like, eh, and then an engineering kit, I guess I'm done. Um, those can be really handy. And that's something we have yeah. dabbled with for sure, where like in the in a fly for your die volume, there's uh, some aquatic stuff going on. And so we compiled a list of aquatic equipment, right? And said, yeah. here's just the stuff you need for this environment from various books. And uh, in the Galaxy Exploration Manual coming out next week, we did that for some of the biomes from some of the environments that you might need to go. What do you want in a subterranean environment? Here's just a small list of equipment that's relevant to this yeah. place um, for you to use. So we've, we've definitely had an eye toward that, um, but it might be interesting to explore that more for sure. Yeah. I. Uh... I, I've in my personal home game, I've got about half of my group who hates to go shopping. Like that's just not that's not something that they consider to be fun, right? Like they they don't want to spend time going through equipment lists. So I sympathize with the question here. Um, 
And in many ways, I think class kits can address like the first level situation, but as people go up in level, uh, the need to sort of continually refresh their gear can be a bit of a challenge for some players. Um, sometimes the GM has to help those players specifically. Like if you, if you know, if you can get, you can talk to the player like, okay, well, what, what kind of weapon do you want to use? And then you can just put that weapon in the treasure for the adventure, right? And they don't have to shop. Like you can do some of that work for them. And, and archives of Nethys and other online sources allow you to sort the very large. I mean, when we started off this game three years ago, the equipment list was not so big, right? Like you could handle it when it was a couple of pages, six or eight pages in, in the core rule book. But as, as more hardbacks have come out and more adventure paths come out and we keep adding more and more gear all the time, like it, it has gotten really, really big. So, uh, so I, yeah, work, work with the player, ask them what they want. And then you as GM can kind of do some of that shopping for them. I even had like a, a service in Starfinder, which I called Loot Finder, where a, a character could spend money every, every uh, could spend credits and every time they leveled up, they'd get a box of new loot that was gear appropriate for them, right? Like, so whatever you, experiment, we have to experiment. We'll come up with different ways to do it. Um, and to address, address the second part of their, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I was gonna talk about. We have Starship Combat reference cards are a great resource that we've made to, uh, to help. Uh, so you can just hand somebody a card that, you know, has their role and only their role. Cause I feel like that's one of the overwhelming things about Starship Combat for an ind individual player. Um, obviously the GM kind of has to know the, the rules of the whole system, but no one player really needs to know every, like what everyone is doing at all times and how the GM's, uh, you know, turn works and all that. You can really, you can just be sitting at your console being a gunner or being, you know, the ma uh, magic officer, for instance. Um, so there's, I think that I think the for me personally having like a little reference card does a world of a world of good <laughs> instead of having a book that has you know this starship system that has many pages and you're like uh, which part of this do I need to care about well you can you can focus on just a piece of it all right um so a question from prime I'm not sure if it's prime gaming or waters life but any character generator software you can recommend that is up to date how do you guys make characters I, unfortunately, I am, uh, unfortunately for this question, but fortunately for me, I, I just enjoy pen and paper, <laughs> uh, pencil and paper, really, uh, just sitting down and with a splay of books, you know, and just flipping <laughs> around and usually, usually with the group. And uh, when I do it myself too, I'll often, um, be, yeah, just making characters that I know are never going to see the light of day, but I just do it for the fun. But so software wise, and, and, you know, in development work, when we're making stuff, we tend to use internal tools uh, and, or, you know, the, the old fashioned way of rebuilding things just to make sure that they're, they're built right. Um, according to the rules. So, so that was a long way of saying, oh, <laughs> but we have great partners, obviously with software, if anyone wants to speak to that. <laughs> John. Uh so when basically the way that I make uh, Starfinder characters does not involve a licensed software. Uh, it involves a character building spreadsheet that I built when we were creating the character operations manual pre-generated characters, uh, because those classes were not in any of the uh, available mm -hmm. licensed uh, character generation things. So yeah. um, I've partly as a way of just learning more Excel functions, I just regularly update that and <laughs> use that as a way of, of tracking the bare minimum of what I need. But like Joe, there's a lot of 
uh, pencil and paper style work that I do. And that's partly because it it means that every single character that I'm building feels like a way of reinforcing my pro professional skills and deeply familiarizing myself further with the game that I work on. Yeah, we all sound like a bunch right. of old The less autopilot I do, the better. <laughs> yeah. When I, I remember going and buying the Starfinder rulebook in the Alien Archive uh, at, at a game store, you know, down in Florida when I was still living down there, and it had just come out a few months ago. And I promptly went to a pizza place and spent like three hours making monsters with the Alien Archive rules in the back, you know. And it was a way for me to learn the system and kind of how all the mechanics came together. And um, but I but I do use Hero Lab uh, sometimes to create uh, creatures when I'm writing Starfinder Adventures, or I, I uh, it it I find it pretty handy, pretty useful. Um, and uh, it's got a learning curve in learning how to navigate everything, and it's always changing and updating with new classes and new feats and options and stuff. So, so uh, like any uh, application, it takes a little bit of time to learn, but uh, but I find it pretty useful, and my players have found it useful when when we run campaigns. They make their characters uh, using it and level up using it. So, so I, I would probably recommend Hero Lab if you are looking for a for an app. Um, but I think what you also hear from here is I think now every single person watching this now wants John's Excel spreadsheet, right? Like that's that's <laughs> what we all want. Uh, so I mean that so is, they're, they're, that in the Starship Builder. <laughs> yeah, the Starship Builder too. We all hail John for his Starship Builder. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, so here somebody appears to have done the puzzle. Zrigatan ninety nine says, "Wait, is the new nanosite iconic a squid person?" <laughs> If, if by that you mean an Ishtikri, uh, then yes, yes, you're right, right? Yeah. The center of that company. That's right. So we'll, we'll uh, be doing some uh, Meet the Iconic uh, business with that uh, in the in the coming month or so. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to miss it. Somebody, somebody was like, listening to us, so we may as well answer the question. If you want to learn more about Ishtikri, where should you go, John? Writer of the Ishtikri. Uh, that would be, ooh, Alien Archive 3 should be. Yep, and uh, also some near space question mark or yeah, that's be right. Some there, near space. Yeah, there's, so, uh, yeah. there's a page of uh, alt variant racial abilities in near space, as well as some awesome art of Ishtikri's in action. <laughs> oh, yeah. they, they show up all over too, like in Fly Fear Die Volume Two. Like you go to the Ishtikri homeworld, and uh, uh, I got to do this great art scene, like in the canteen with like the Ishtikri on a bar. Uh, so yeah, the, those, those are great. <laughs> okay. Um, did you change where hurled objects go farther and do more damage than thrown? I don't understand that question. Did uh, Evil Robot hmm. Games, did you change where hurled objects go farther and do more damage than thrown mecha weapons? Oh, were thrown mecha weapons too short range in the playtest? Okay, okay. John I think what's, uh, what, what's being referred to here is that there are uh, melee weapons that you can have for your uh, mech that have the thrown ability with them. So, like, you could have a, a spear for your thing, and you could say, ah, heck with it, throw the spear, I'm down a melee weapon, whatever. Uh, but there is an action called hurl that your mechs can do where they can pick up something mm -hmm. that is uh, at least, at most, two sizes smaller than they are. And it's a weird combination of grapple and thrown weapon usage. It's basically made to uh, capture the energy of a mech grabbing an, uh, a semi-truck and hurling it at Godzilla uh, sort of idea. So, um, <laughs> and I think Hurl has like a set 
throw a range increment of 30 feet, something like that. And some of the thrown weapons have, I think, a roughly 40 feet, 30 feet, 40 feet, somewhere around there. Um, I don't think that the differences are super intentional. They're made to be practical enough for, for mech purposes without being like the always go-to option. Yeah. Right on. And I okay, cool. don't Thank think you. that is something that we tweaked, so I uh, would not expect changes from the playtest version. Okay, good. All right, so um, Godzilla King, Godzilla Killer, excuse me, Godzilla Killer 26. Uh, how was the feedback for the precog playtest? Do you guys want to characterize the playtest for, for the precog at all? Um, people really liked it. There obviously was, there was some very, uh, how do I want to put this? <laughs> There was shock, shock and awe in the fact that we had given dexterity as a, as a casting uh, a modifier. Um, and so we did change that. That was something I just wanted to experiment with, uh, quite frankly. So uh, the experiment ran, and I would say it was a success in that we got a lot of feedback and uh, learned kind of what people were and were not comfortable with. Um, I'm always kind of pushing against the boundaries of the systems we've inherited. And this is definitely yep. one of those examples. Uh, and I think there are good reasons to to not have dexterity be a a casting uh, the basis of a casting uh, casting class, um, at, at least for their spells. So the precog will still be dex based. Um, that'll be their primary key ability, their key ability score. But uh, we are going with a, a different a different uh, ability score for their spell casting. Um, and I think that should, that was definitely the, you know, everyone was like, what? And focused on that. <laughs> um, right. But we did get a lot of good feedback, again, about sort of minor things that we missed. Um, a lot of interesting feedback about, like, the spells that are on the, the precog list. I thought that was interesting. Like, why would a precog be able to do this or that? And uh, I have my own justifications. That was kind of a fun, you know, um, Thurston Hillman wrote the class and did an awesome job. And uh we took this sort of pre-rolling idea and ran with it. And I think that was pretty, pretty well received. You know, I was pretty excited about how that played out. Um, that was one of the big questions we had, like, does this work? And are there enough of them or not too many, that kind of thing. Um, and so I think the primary feedback was on the, the spell casting modifier and on some of the spell list stuff, which I would love to like sit down with a group of people and just talk through the spell list and it's like, why why i think this is a good spell for a precog and why this may not be and um it's yeah so overall i think it was great it was great feedback not all positive necessarily or but a lot of constructive feedback and that's all we're looking for yeah. in the play test so i uh, many thanks again to everyone who participated in that um it really really helps us a lot put out something that we're proud of and that we can be excited about and know that people will be excited about too yeah the 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 so the class is going to have it's going to so focus on decks, but intel, but some other stat, whatever, uh, whatever other ability. I don't even I haven't even seen it since you fixed it. But what <laughs> some other ability necessary for their spellcasting? So they'll have like sort of two stats that they'll need. Yeah, and because dexterity is such a catch-all stat, which is one of those things I like to push against a little bit, if possible. I think that yeah. is reasonable for for having if you're going to have and you know. There is not a full agreement within the Starfinder team even on how to go about this and what to try. Um, but uh, everyone, you know, everyone has a say and we, we try things and then <laughs> we see what happens. All right. Um, 
will we see a post-apocalyptic AP sometime? Um, it's come up. We've talked about it. Uh, there was another question on here about a cyberpunk-related AP. John, you've always been big into Shadowrun. You've, you've, you've had pretty strong feelings about a, a cyberpunk story. Um, do you think we could do that in Starfinder? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, both an apocalyptic uh, adventure and a cyberpunk adventure are both of these are themes that thrive, that really thrive when you have a somewhat isolated environment where there yeah. is nobody else coming in to save you from the apocalypse or where your cyberpunk game is very much limited to a planet primarily because it, it cyberpunk tends toward kind of a street level uh, style of yeah. play as opposed to a, yeah. a Starship travel one. So uh, to me, both of those themes really thrive in Starfinder when you look at them as a, you know, a, a one-shot or the equivalent of a 64-page module where you have a much more focused story and you're not going to feel tempted to go off-world in big ways. Um, so I think Starfinder is a great uh, avenue for both of those themes, uh, but typically for smaller adventures or smaller scale. Yeah, we've talked about, we, we've had an adventure concept titled The Junk Lords of Akaton on our short list for like two and a half years now, which would be kind of this post-apocalyptic adventure on Akaton where you're like Mad Maxing it across the desert in your pieced together vehicles, you know, and like fighting mutants of the wasteland or whatever. So there's a lot of love for that kind of adventure. And I think Keeley was running a post-apocalyptic game in his home campaign uh, lately. So there's a lot of love for that. We certainly have Starfighter's got a lot of cyberpunk features. People have been using it to play Shadowrun basically since the game came out. <laughs> uh, and it, it's got all the corporations we've done. We, we, and it's kind of that capitalistic dystopia that that a uh, shadow that a cyberpunk game really needs, but John's absolutely right. Like Starfinder also has starship travel, and it has this huge like galactic community, you know, the Pact worlds and the Vescarium and all that stuff. And it's it's really if it, to do a post-apocalyptic or a cyberpunk adventure, right? You have to kind of block out all that stuff. Like if the if the cosmic galaxy is out there, well, then why don't you just get your ship together and leave? <laughs> get get out of your <laughs> post apocalyptic land and go to the pack, go to Absalom Station, you know, and watch some zone. <laughs> uh, but but so so yeah, we we have to kind of shape it. Maybe maybe we, we there. One of the things that we've often talked about is all the different genres that Starfinder can do, and we we touch on this a little bit in the Galaxy Exploration Manual. But maybe there'd be a way for us to do some specific support for specific genres someday. Uh, where maybe you you do a cyberpunk game, and we give you some tools for that outside of the regular packed world setting. We just here's you want to make your own cyberpunk game. Here's some stuff to help you do that. Or you want to do Mad Max. Here's some post-apocalyptic tools. Um, we, we we haven't found the right chance and opportunity to do that yet, but we we all love it, and this is playing to Starfinder's strengths because it can do all that stuff. So hopefully, when I was going to say, Jake, I mean, you said it. You said it just now. But yes, uh, we next week Galaxy Exploration Manual drops, and one Jason Chandra wrote a section about subgenres. <laughs> that if you don't want to wait for our adventures in those subgenres, you can have some advice from a great adventure writer and developer about running those games on your own. Uh, it, so much we we could have I could have written ten times as much on that <laughs> stuff. But that's, 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 um, all right. Um, 
Will Horizon, this is from The Killing Jay. Uh, this is another uh, specific uh, adventure question. Will Horizons of the Vast be a good AP to pick up and run? I've never bought and ran an AP releasing monthly, and I'm a uh, little hesitant due to not knowing the full scope and plot before I run. Well, okay, so first off, we I hear you, because it can be intimidating. Like it's six volume AP, there's a lot of pages, it's a big project, but, Keeley is lead developing this adventure path, and and he knows how to bring GMs and players on board. It on uh, it's got a lot of sandbox quality. So you're going to this unexplored star system. We know there's uh, there's creatures and plants that live there, but there's no sapient life. There's no there's no culture that already lives on these planets. You're the first sapient life to go there, and you, you're. You've got a patron, maybe it's Avidar Corp, or maybe it's um, the Vescarium, or or it's the Starfinder Society, or it's the uh, the Xeno Wardens, or whatever. You you can pick, and then you go to that planet, and you're given this chunk of uh, of land to develop, and you can land anywhere in there that you want. So you can land in the forest, or you can land by the lake, or in the mountains, or whatever. And then as you build your settlement and you expand it as you want to do that, and you can. You have a lot of leeway in how you choose to expand it, and there's an, there's a story going on. There's the adventure path that's that's getting you into plots and and giving you some hints of what's going on and the way Donna systems mysterious secrets and why are there no people on these planets? I mean, we're talking about Starfinder, where like people are everywhere. I mean, there there are sapient beings that live in the middle of the sun for crying out loud. Like, how come there's no one living on this? on this planet that's that's perfect for people to live on hmm that's a very good question so there's a plot there's a story there's also a lot of player driven options and choices there so how you build your settlement your charter where you build your towns how you expand it what you choose to prioritize do you go for the military and the defense systems first or do you build a school or do you build or do you focus on your economy right and this is all very very open so it's a it's a good adventure path for players and gms to have conversations over like what do you guys want to do with this and how do you want it to go and 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 whenever the that part of the system starts to stall out you can go back to the story and you can you can fight you can explore this planet and you know uh uh have adventure scenes but also diplomacy and intrigue as you deal with your rivals that are come down to to the way down a system um and there's all these other planets in the way down system that all have mysteries of their own and adventures of their own to explore. So uh, it comes out bi-monthly. Uh, the question said monthly, but I want to note that Rise of the Vast comes out every other month. So that should give you time. That gives you uh, two months to get through each adventure. And, and if you fall a little behind, well, that's okay. There's no time clock. There's nobody looking over your shoulder, you know, waiting for you to finish on time. Uh, so take as much time as you want. And, and, and then come to the forums because there's a very active Q&A always on, on each adventure that comes out. And you can post your questions and you can see how other people have played through these adventures and, and you can learn from their experiences, right? Like we can share all that stuff. That's the beauty of gaming in the 21st century is that we can, we can share. So yeah, give it a shot. I think you'll like it. It looks like it's uh, four o'clock. Just it is. It is four o'clock. Okay, <laughs> we have to go. Um, so, where can where can people find you? You both, um, John. You want to start? Like, if someone wants to 
follow you or, or get in touch with you or read your stuff, where, where can they do that? Sure. So I am on Twitter at Archeotog. You'll find that in the uh, lower third that's uh, on Twitch right now. Um, I'm also a regular participant in the Starfinder RPG Discord server, where you can take all sorts of questions and ideas. I'm happy to chime in. And uh, yeah, and then I've written for all sorts of bits of Paizo's product lines, so you can find any of my work there if you ever want to run any of my adventures. Joe? Uh, yeah, I'm Joe Adultman on uh, Twitter and Twitch, and you know you can always find my Paizo email if you want to reach out uh, about anything. And I would also recommend going on the forums, the Paizo forums, for rules questions in particular, and check out that fact page too. Yeah, and uh, and I'm I'm at Doctor Comics, uh, all one word on Twitter, and like Jack John said, you can see that right there down there on our lower third. Um, and uh, I've been pretty active here on the Discord, so I've got an AMA going like my colleagues do. So come on in there and any questions that we didn't get to, um, get to John or Joe and just drop in their AMAs and, and ask them directly. And uh, and I hope it's something that we can talk about and not something that hasn't been announced yet, so we have to say we can't. Um, thank you so much to everybody for coming and, and joining us here. Thanks for all the questions. Thanks to Aaron uh, for helping me with those questions over the course of the hour. And enjoy the rest of the show. Okay, thanks everyone.